0: Welcome to Far-fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring tales to terrify and starship sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours.
2: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 170. And yes, your ears do not deceive you. I am finally back from my wanderings around the continent. And I must say, it's really nice to be back in the booth, talking to all my favourite fantasy fans out there. My sincerest thanks go out to all the guest hosts who helped out while I was away, including my long-suffering and wonderful husband. So, before we move on, a quick reminder. We are currently accepting story submissions, and if you have something to send our way, we'd like to see it. We are strictly a reprint market for now. The do's and don'ts can be found on the submissions page of the F website. As for the main attraction this week, we bring you a haunting bit of dark fantasy called The Breeding Dust by Dennis Mombauer. Dennis was born in 1984 in the namesake capital of the Bonn Republic and raised along the Rhine River. He currently lives and works as a theatre agent and freelance author in Cologne and writes weird fiction, textual experiments and literary essays, as well as non-naturalist drama and English poetry, acculturated with German. He translates both fiction and non-fiction and is the editor, co-founder and co-publisher of Die Novella magazine for experimentalism. Dennis's publications have appeared in various magazines and anthologies, and he can be found online at dennismombauer.com. The story is read by Cheyenne Wright, a freelance illustrator and concept artist. He is the colour artist on the three-time Hugo Award-winning steampunk graphic novel series Girl Genius, and co-creator of many other fine works, including Fifty Fathoms and the Emmy Award-winning Deadlands Noir for the Savage Worlds RPG. He has also produced graphics for Star Trek Online, The Champions MMO, and T-shirt designs for TV's Alton Brown. Cheyenne lives in Seattle with his wife, their daughter, and an ever-growing stack of unpainted miniatures – in his spare time, he's teaching himself animation and writes short stories for a variety of audio anthologies where he's known as podcasting's Mr. Buttery Man Voice, TM. You can find him online at arcane arcanetimes.com. And now, The Breeding Dust.
0: Silent, angular houses with white plaster. A sand suffocated well, and a couple of stunted palms huddled together on the low ground. A once bustling city that only the ghostly desert wind inhabited now. The sun gleamed down without mercy, hanging in the sky as a swirling ball that made the air flicker. And the small caravan decided to rest in this ancient oasis. The camels were led down the loose sand dunes and racked up in the shadow of the ruined walls, while the men sought refuge in one of the best-preserved buildings. Scattered sunbeams fell in through the holes in the roof and illuminated dusty rubble, but it was comfortably cool compared to the heat outside. Everyone looked for a place to sit, Drink freshly cooked tea and tried to pay as little attention as possible to the wind, which seemed to carry along doleful whispers from a prouder time. The men agreed to wait for nightfall or late afternoon before they would continue their journey, although a short examination found the well waterless, and the rest of the city equally empty—not even home to bones or mummified remains. After everyone else save the guards had retreated for a short rest, Ikrushun wandered through the lifeless streets. Besides the panting and scraping of the camels, the quiet conversations of the men, and the wind's lonely tune, the oasis was utterly silent the unbearable heat having driven even the scorpions into hiding. The young monk sat down beside a big boulder and began to meditate. The heat didn't touch him as much as the others, his breathing calm and steady while he thought about his journey and his destination, about why he had left the tourmaline's sheikdom and resigned from the order. The wind whirled up wispy sand particles, creating unsteady forms. Faces contorted with a pain that instantly collapsed back into the curved towers and clouds. Delicate constructs without consistency. Ikrashun sat motionless, stared at the ground and watched this play of the sand while contemplating the corruption and decadence of his former masters. There were still doubts in him but it was far too late to turn back. He had joined this caravan in Mahashutov, and they had already travelled hundreds of perilous miles into the desert. After the sun had crossed its zenith, the men prepared for their departure, as nobody wanted to linger between the ruins till nightfall. Ikrushun returned to them as he heard a commotion, hushed voices arguing with each other, the sounds of a frantic search. One of the guards has gone missing, and we can't find a trace of him anywhere. They searched the abandoned buildings, only to come up empty-handed, again. And there was no camel missing, no equipment gone, no footprints in the sand. Maybe he has deserted and run off. Maybe he had seen something out in the wasteland and followed it over the dunes. Maybe this cursed wind has carried him away.' The remaining caravan members packed their things hastily while keeping an eye on the buildings and nervously touching the hilts of their weapons. Ikrashun was watching the desert, where he suddenly spotted hazy movement. But as he shielded his eyes from the sun and looked again, there was only pristine sand. Before he could share his observation, a loud scream of pain split the air, followed by a gurgling groan. One of the caravan soldiers broke down, clutching a feathered arrow shaft that had penetrated deep into his neck. Ikrashun scanned the landscape while all around him men took cover, ran back into the oasis, or ducked down behind some forward rubble. Right before Ikrushun's eyes, a bone-bleached figure manifested at the crest of a dune, luridly gleaming in the sunlight. And another man, not fast or lucky enough, was struck down by its arrow. All over the sand hills girdling the city, white specters rose up, and the young monk started to run as well. A shower of arrows rained down, stirred up the sand or splintered against the dusty ruin walls, and Ikrashun only narrowly evaded them. As soon as he reached cover in a house entrance, silence set in. The figures along the dune stood motionless, their bows strained without a sign of fatigue. The only sounds were made by the wind that swept around the buildings, swirled up sand waves, and haunted the well shaft and Ikrashun realized they were trapped. From an opposing building a soldier beckoned to him, and Ikrashun took one last look, braced his muscles, and rushed across the street. Nothing happened. No arrow tried to hit him, and he reached the shaded door safely. Inside the structure the majority of the caravan members huddled in a paved courtyard behind another gateway. Which had probably once been veiled by a curtain. The men discussed what to do now, and a few late arrivals who had been with the camels reported the entire city to be encircled by figures, spectral in appearance, but alive enough to defeat any attempted escape. There was no help to be expected, for the roads on which their caravan crossed the desert were uncharted and forgotten, something that had seemed convenient when they departed because many of the travelers had an interest in secrecy. But now this excessive caution had left them stranded, far away from known trading routes and the Sheikdom's patrols. A small band of men would try to sneak through the circumvallation to get behind the attackers, and Ikrushun volunteered together with four soldiers. They quietly climbed the courtyard wall, darted low along the empty streets, and approached the outskirts of the city. As they reached the foot of the dunes, they almost didn't believe their eyes. Not a single figure was to be seen, the yellow-brown sand stretching under the fading sunlight without a trace of their attackers. The caravan decamped as quickly as possible, eager to get away from this place and the ghostly figures. Soon the shadows lengthened, the air cooled, and the sun descended in the sky. They reached a rocky hill and put up their tents, tying the camels to the posts and playing dice to distribute the guard shifts for the night. Ikrashun got one around midnight, and when a soldier woke him after a few hours of sleep, Ikrashun went outside to keep watch and meditate. The moon hung over him like a vindictive eye, and its silvery light flowed over the nightly dunes, leaving deep shadows between the tents and rocks as it receded. Except for the movements of nocturnal desert animals, the sandy nothingness stretched out, placid and inert before Ikrashun. And, as far as he could see, it differed in no way from the desert they had crossed for days and weeks. But there was something in the distance, far away. Along the ridge of an elongated dune, a caravan passing by, pallid figures and camels moved slowly, seemingly emerging from nothing and vanishing behind the sand again, as if something would swallow them. "'The monk had no doubt that this ghostly trek was leaving just as little footprints as the bowmen had, "'and that even a thorough investigation would yield no proof it had ever been there. "'He decided to tell no one about this apparition, as it would only fuel their fear. "'But suddenly a horrified cry rose up behind him. "'He spun around and saw one of the merchants rush from his tent.' break down,
3: and weep. Dead! He is dead! wholly dead! And I haven't touched him! Dead! Stone dead! He just lay there, and now he is dead! Dead! Dead!
0: As it turned out, the merchant's tent-mate had passed away without any injury, and the merchant had woken up to find the corpse's arms slung around him. The morning revealed a total of five people to have perished in their tents, all of them without visible wounds, without blood, without a cause. Tales of invisible creatures stalking the caravan spread quickly, and the mood was tense as they set out again. Only an endless expanse of yellow sand stretched out around them, Traversed by long dunes and burned by the sun from a clear sky, like a trail of ants, the men and camels moved through this heat-hazed, waterless sea, far and wide the only signs of life between isolated rock pillars and scattered cacti. There were no accurate maps of this area, Only a few known oases scattered along the major trading routes between the Sikhdom and the nation of Hal-Bedur. The caravan, however, was traveling further south, right through the unpopulated, largely unexplored region commonly known as Vanishing Sands. Notorious for its lifelike and frequent mirages... Ikrushun hadn't seen any mirages up until now, although he wished that the sinister enemies surrounding them were nothing more than hallucinations. Their arrows just blinks of reflected sunlight. The soldier right before Ikrushun stopped, and the young monk almost ran into him. There was no apparent reason for this halt, so he moved further along the caravan, in the direction of the vanguard. In front of the foremost camel... A disk at least twenty-five feet in diameter protruded from the ground, made of a bone-white, smooth material, around which the merchants and soldiers had gathered. One of them, a dark-skinned trader with an expensive robe and turban, asserted loudly that the disk had moved, while a fat man with a stubby beard didn't seem to believe him. At this moment the disk soared up, "'followed by an underlying block of the same shape and consistency. "'Startled, the circle of bystanders widened "'while a massive pillar ascended into a fountain of sand, "'higher and higher towards the sky. "'Finally, as the shadow of this pale tower "'already reached over the entire caravan, "'the movement stopped, "'and a semicircular pitch-dark portal became visible, "'just big enough.' to admit a single person. A silence of disbelief hung over the travelers. With nobody daring to approach the unearthly tower or to depart, eventually a bold warrior stepped forward and advanced, his sword held out in both hands before him like a lucky charm. He stuck his weapon into the impenetrable darkness of the entrance and then took a step inside. His next step made him disappear, so they could only hear the sounds of his movement. Followed by a quick hiss, the light of a matchstick made the man's face float in the shadows before it became brighter as he inflamed a torch inside the tower. In the flickering illumination, a low, dusty room became visible— a room containing several chests with open lids, filled to the brim with gold pieces and jewelry. The bystanders were quick to sum up the situation, and several soldiers and merchants rushed into the tower, ignoring any possible danger in view of this treasure, pushing and shoving each other without consideration. "'Be careful! Why do you risk your lives for these things?' Ikrushun stayed clear of the tower." "'watching his fellow travellers stream inside and rummage through the chests, "'decking themselves in trinkets and treasures. "'We shouldn't linger here. This isn't right.' "'As soon as the first looter wanted to bring his prize outside, "'he ran against an invisible wall, right at the entrance. "'Surprised, the bearded warrior dropped his plunder and tried again. "'His eyes widened in disbelief and bewilderment when he still bumped into a barrier.' and he whipped out his scimitar and struck at it. At the moment of impact, the tower began to tremble, and then moved once more downward. The other prisoners became aware of it now, abandoning their treasure and hammering with fists and swords at the entrance, only their desperate screams making it outside. Horrified, but powerless, the people who had stayed back watched the bone-white building slowly sink into the desert's depths. "'carrying its occupants down to a sandy grave. "'Finally the screams fell silent, "'and where the tower had risen up just a moment ago, "'only uniform sand remained. "'No more than a dozen men and twice as many camels were left. "'And as the caravan continued on, "'even Igrashun had to lead one of the animals.' The sunlight soon dwindled while the men again made camp for the night, silent and with heavy spirits. Guards were assigned, but only few of the travelers would be able to find sleep tonight. Ikrashun was concerned as well, not only for his own life, but for the lives of his comrades. At midnight the shine of the full moon revealed a ghostly procession in great distance and a swarm of tiny dots rose up from it into the night sky, vanished between the stars, and transformed into wooden arrows that unerringly drilled into the remaining water-skins. The men could save just a fraction of the precious fluid as most of it seeped into the insatiable sand, and the rest would only last them a few more days now. Even more desperate than on the day before, the caravan broke camp at dawn, trying to reach a new oasis or watering hole as soon as possible. The sun blazed down on them, drying up their throats and blinding their eyes as they trekked further and further, driven by the hope for water or rescue. During the next days, the surrounding desert remained as lifeless as the desert they had already wandered through, and their empty water skins didn't fill up. There were no apparitions in the nights, but the thirst began to torture the men, and if not the thirst, their worries and fears kept them from sleeping. Two days further, the first winged shapes appeared in the sky. Vultures circling above them. Ikrashun still felt calmer than the others, but inside his mind, uncertainty and doubt eroded his willpower. His steps carried him forward through the hot sand, but he walked as monotonously as a somnambulist. while the thirst burned his mouth and exhaustion dimmed his field of view. They moved until noon, when they finally found a sign of hope, the fleshless cadaver of an oasis bird. Such animals were only seen in the close vicinity of water, where they built their ornate nests in the palm tops and this meant that a place with water couldn't be far. Once more the men's steps quickened, as they dug deep and pushed on to finally reach the summit of a higher dune, from where they saw something like paradise, just a few hundred feet away, half hidden behind heat hazes, a glittering azure lake spread out, framed by shade-giving palms and shrubbery that stretched out around it like a green wall against the desert. Their fast steps turned into a hasty run without regard for anything else as their legs grew lighter and their relief vanquished all thoughts of exhaustion. The feet of the merchants, warriors, and even camels flew across the sand in a downright race toward the oasis, using up their last reserves of energy. Ikrushun ran with the others, but lagged behind as they reached the vegetation, and he stumbled amidst the undergrowth. Like famished beasts, the members of the caravan fell on the life-promising water, splashed it on their faces, jumped in it, and above all, drank it. Even while the monk caught up to them, he suddenly noticed the complete absence of animals at the oasis, as well as the oppressive silence, which only allowed one conclusion. Before Ikrashun's eyes, his comrades collapsed one after another, their faces turning waxen and losing all color, their arms and legs becoming stiff, their skin overcoating with a thin, oily film, and then losing all moisture. The entire scenery flickered, as if the illusion of the oasis had served its purpose, and everything transformed. The lush vegetation turned into wilted brown weeds and toppled palms. The glittering surface of the lake into something covered with iridescent streaks and bloated fish corpses. In the air carried a sudden scent of putrefaction and death, overlaid by a treacly notion of decaying fruit. On a hill above the oasis whose malignance needed no concealment any more, a low tower became visible, with unnaturally smooth walls and a heavy dome of gold, coming ablaze in the sunshine like an eerie lighthouse. Ikrishun groaned. His body was powerless and drained, his tongue hanging from his mouth like a dusty rag, red dots glimmering before his eyes, He forced himself to ignore the temptation of sleep, to fight against the dull oblivion that threatened to overwhelm him, and cramped his hands around the handle of his only weapon, the small dagger at his belt. Every step was harder than the one before, but Ikrushun trudged forward through the crackling dead grass. His eyes fixed on the tower and its open entrance. His only hope was that the inhabitants of this building didn't count on anyone surviving the trap. After all, it had been pure luck that Ikrushun hadn't reached the water in unison with the others. Finally, he arrived at the entrance and dragged his body inside. It was cooler here, and Ikrushun sensed a small part of his strength surge back. Heavy carmine tapestries covered the walls, the floor, and even the stairway leading up all of which were built from the same pale material as the tower's exterior. Determined, Ikrashun put his foot on the first step and started to labor his way up. After a long ascend, during which he almost lost consciousness several times, he reached the top of the building. The same treacly smell that had come from the oasis's tainted water confronted him here, intensified many times over and it was difficult to fight a feeling of sickness. Before him there was a twill-lit chamber decorated with tapestries just like the rest of the tower— with a domed ceiling from which chains with dull luster dangled down. In the center of the room, an ancient, sunk-down figure slumped on a plain throne. Wisps of white hair flowed over an almost fleshless skull, covered by skin as thin as parchment, and spindly claws stuck out from the sleeves of an blood-red frock. As Ikrashun approached, The old man opened his eyes under heavy lids and studied him. The wrinkled jaws exposed yellow-toothed stumps when he began to speak, with a hoarse voice that seemed to come from a great distance.
3: "'So there is someone who has managed to come
0: here,' the old man paused, and only his piping breath was
3: audible." I assume that you want to know who I am. Ikrashun saw
0: no one else in the room. Only this withered, drained creature
3: on its throne. I was once called Kuhadrafa a long time ago. And I lived in a very distant place between the gray houses and colorful markets of a city whose name I have forgotten. I studied the art of incantation, but I got tangled up in its secrets, and soon people feared me for my power. They banished me, first from this city, and then from any other that I entered. Ultimately, after many journeys in which I burdened myself with great guilt, I ended up here. Amidst this phantasmagorical desert. My powers protected me from the thirst and hallucinations. And so I built this tower. In the heart of the wasteland. I lived here. And the incantation rituals allowed me to preserve my body. "'Far beyond its time to betray death
0: itself.' "'A bleating laughter issued forth from the man's
3: decayed throat, "'and Ikrashun shuddered. "'And then I constructed my traps. "'So easy, so easy.' I just had to make the mirages a little bit more real. To fill them with life. To make them able to kill. The ghosts. The tower. The voices. The young monk
0: had listened entrancedly. But now... After the words of this cadaverous creature had run dry, he regained his composure. Why? Why do you have to kill all these people? A game. The old man smiled dreamily. His age marked his skin stretching over bare bones.
3: Yes. A game. The stakes were lives. Theirs against mine. You understand? You don't know how it is to be imprisoned for a thousand years in a frail, aching body. You don't know how many times I have cursed the moment. I used my powers... To extend my life. So long have I lived. I wanted to make the game easier. But it was
0: forbidden to me. His fingers cramped around the throne's armrest, clinging to it until his knuckles turned white.
3: And now you are the first. To win against me. To beat me at my own game. And I have to let you live. With trembling hands, he produced a
0: bag from under his frock.
3: Take this. Water and provisions. And maybe you will survive the desert. Maybe you can finish your journey. Slowly, Ikra pulled out
0: the dagger from his belt, weighing it in his exhausted hands. He reluctantly took the bag and watched the old man before him, whose eyes had glossed over, gazing into a very distant place. Without turning his back on the tower's lone inhabitant, a Khrushun pulled out a water pouch and raised it to his mouth. It smelled fresh, and he took a sip. Then he eagerly gulped down the pouch's contents. What's this water? It tasted like dust and metal, but wetter, as if blood-stained sand had begun to liquefy. What a loud clank cut through the oppressive silence when the dagger fell to the ground. "'It's all right!'
3: Just another mirage that kills. Another fleeting dream. Sleep now. Turn dry and crisp so they can breathe you in. The old man was suddenly
0: focused again, stretching out his crooked fingers and grasping the air, grinding it against his skin. Ikrashun had become an observer inside his own body, sinking down to his knees, feeling his eyesight fading, his veins shriveling up, his lips bursting open.
3: I don't want to win the game, but it is easy. So easy. You have made it far. But you couldn't kill me. And you
0: lost. The old man stared at Ikrashun's body, too weak to stand up, too weak to walk over to him. He listened to the young man's breaths getting fainter, fading away, until they were no louder than the desert wind outside. Indistinguishable, from the sand particles scrubbing against the tower's pale walls. The old man sat on his throne, and the voices returned from the shadows, to fill the tower once again with their whispers, to stir up the dust, and inhale Ikrashun's remains.
2: wasn't that quite something if you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories you can leave your comments on the triple f website our facebook page or on twitter we love hearing from you our listeners and we want to know your thoughts on our content as always please leave us a review on itunes acast or other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing please also consider making a donation on the district of wonders patreon page so that we can keep the podcast Up and running. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but don't change it or sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators will be cursed to live for thousands of years with sand in their underpants. I'm off to go and find that little kitten my husband mentioned last week and discover what he's eaten now. I'll see you all next week. Bye now.
0: This presentation has been brought to you by The District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about The District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www